Welcome back to the Scarcity Podcast. This is your host, Mike, and my co-host, Scott. How are you doing today, buddy? Um, bit of a different day, you know, not not the usual. Usually we have these planned ahead of time, works very well, and the audio doesn't just not function, but that didn't happen this time. So we had to re-record this entire episode, and I'm a little upset. I think the last episode was pretty good, and... Now we got to do it all over again. Very cool, very neat, very nice. Yeah. So today we're going to be discussing James Wan's debut film, Saw, which coincidentally we decided to do this and then we both watched Malignant. And, you know, we got to talk about that in a quick carnage. That'll be up. You can watch that. Yeah, I I, I wanted to do this one for a while because I wanted you to watch it and sadly uh, going into it I know you found out that you, you, you do the twist yep. and it's really, really depressing it really does hinder the film too I, I hate to say it like it hurts the film and it makes it a lesser film it doesn't like the film's still fantastic but it hurts the experience watching it, it definitely does knowing the immediate end to the film and how it changes everything it's like oh I really wish I didn't know that going in that's why to me, like people tell me like, oh, spoilers don't ruin movies. They don't ruin movies. They hinder the atmosphere and the effect it, of what was supposed to happen. Yeah, for some people, like if you hear this is how this movie's en- this movie ends and you didn't know that, it does you know, you're sitting there the whole movie and you're like, Well, I wish I didn't know that because of the way it's executed. Well, let's talk about the last two films. Well, we could talk about all these films that we've already done before. I mean the first one we did is Psycho. Just say mm-hmm. just Really try to think about if you didn't know the twist in Psycho, and you didn't know what happens to Janet Lee. Like, if you first watch that film, you're gonna be fucking blown away, a hundred percent. Like, and the, the sad thing is, is like, unlike this, Psycho became like part of pop culture. Yeah. To the point where like everybody knows how Psycho ends, because not only is it talked about frequently, but it's parodied to death. It changed cinema. Yeah, so it's a bit different because it's like Saw is it was a cultural cultural phenomenon that's indisputable. It's a huge turning point for the genre in the early two thousands. The ending is not part of pop culture. No. So, especially because when we, when most people talk about Saw, they're not even talking about this movie. They're talking about the sequels. It's like Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, most people when they talk about Friday the Thirteenth, they're not talking about the first one with Pamela Voorhees. They're talking about Jason. There's good reason to talk about those, though. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, it's 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 kind of the reverse. It's like this one deserves more recognition. Yeah. Whereas in that one, it's like no one should ever talk about that first Friday the Thirteenth movie. So. So yeah, we've mentioned in Psycho, not knowing that the, those two big revelations would change the viewing of that film. In Exorcist, yes. everybody knows what Regan looks like when she's possessed now. There's not a whole lot you can really change as far as pop culture-wise. You don't know how it's going to end pop culture-wise. You don't know what Regan's like in the beginning of the film, so not a whole lot of that film is altered. But Well, most, pe- most people, the thing they know about The Exorcist the most is just, like, the scenes where Regan is doing, like, depraved shit. Or Regan is doing yeah. depraved things. It's like, I, that's I, what people know about. I think, you know... Not seeing the head tilt around, so when you first experience that, it's yeah. crazy. That is the probably the most iconic, uh, the thing that the pop culture has taken is the head spinning because that is in multiple movies, parody to death, yeah, you know, stuff like that is all over the place. So, so 
some scenes would be better having not experienced that through like being bombarded with pop culture but th- that film still is pretty strong without pop culture being super influenced from it Halloween you almost know everything that's going to happen the entire the entire movie is yeah is but I'll say that the, like the thing that everyone knows from Halloween one, one of the things everyone knows from Halloween is a the killer that doesn't stop yeah you know, you, you, you stop, you, you, you stab with a fucking coat hanger or whatever, and then he gets back up. And you stab him with this, and he gets back up. Until eventually something happens at the end, and it's the end. But the killer gets away. That is the thing that everyone takes away from Halloween, I think. is It's the movie where it's created the idea that the killer doesn't always... isn't always stopped. Yeah. And that's the thing that's carried through pop culture. And through movies that have ripped off slasher films of any kind and, and it's not even saying like you know the two other prominent slashers right before Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw those killers don't get stopped but those films end very differently than yeah, the, the, the way that the way that they don't get stopped is very different yeah so. and we can we're gonna get into both those films later on so we don't have to discuss that but yeah the way Halloween does it, it it's almost like it's very empowering for the killer because it's just it's, because it's representing the killer as omnipresent as if it's the literal manifestation of fate which is very different from those two previous films very yes. very different because those two are still very grounded films as far as the yeah. the killers scream i mean everything is scream takes pop culture creates a movie out of it and then that movie becomes pop culture yeah and it's a that's a it's quite the cocktail and it's very very emblematic of the 90s yes so, so the, the, all those films together it's like everything gets referenced to death yeah and now Saw Saw the film itself the thing that's most known in pop culture is either the puppet yeah the puppet the the traps everyone talks about the, the traps. traps that's what everyone talks about and it's kind of funny again because we're talking about the first Saw the very first movie that stuff's not really in the movie very much no, there's like you'll see glimpses of traps, very quick shots of things, but the the whole point of the film is not the traps. Whereas like the later entries in the film in the franchise, it's like how can we kill people? Yeah, there's four that, traps, that's not I this believe, is. in this film. Four of them. There's the if you want to count if you want to count the fact that the bathroom is an, is a trap. I, I do. Yeah, uh, bathroom. There's the one with the the dude bear trap. The, Bear trap, bathroom, razor wire, razor wire, and then there's the one where they, the cops find him. Shotgun. Oh, okay, yeah. Kind I mean, of a trap. I, I'm of thinking trap. of traps with victims in it, though. Yeah, like games. Yeah, yeah, those types. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. shotgun is a trap. Yeah, but oh, it's, it's again, an escape trap. Yeah. Yeah. Even so, though, these aren't things that the movie focuses on as its entire existence. Yes. It's about the two characters in the bathroom. It's about their relationship to each other. It's about revealing these layers of story. Whereas later entries became, again, what is a grotesque way we can kill people? <laughs> yeah. Which, whatever, that's fine. But very, it's, it's while it's like Friday the 13th, where the first film is quite different. Mm-hmm. You know, Friday the 13th follows a basic formula still, but it's still, it's a whodunit. Whereas, like, you know, when you watch the later Friday 13 movies, you know it's chasing the whole time. This is a mystery movie that is an, also an isolation film that created a mega franchise. That's wild. 
and now it's the first movie. Oh, sorry about that. I just want to say, now talking about the mega franchise part, let's talk about why this film is the one we picked for the 2000s and how it influences the 2000s. So, this whole thing has been about picking movies from each decade and as, as movies that either defined said decade or were probably the most pop culturally relevant. Or influential. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why this is the one we picked for the 2000s, because there's there, we could have gone two different routes here. We could have gone with a remake, because th- there was a lot of remakes in the 2000s. Yes. Even through the 2010s. That would have been easy to do. But we went with this because it actually caused a serious shift in what kind of things were depicted in mainstream horror. You know, you, you could pick find things that are grotesque in horror in most decades, honestly, at this point. But mainstream. This movie made really graphic, almost torture-y stuff mainstream. Actually, let me walk that back a little bit. People think this did. It created a gateway for those movies to exist. It created a gateway for a movie like Hostel. Like the future Saw entries. Like The Collector, which I don't really call a torture porn film, but it does definitely have sequences where it feels like that. And it's created by one of the people who ran the Saw franchise. Um, so it's, it created a bevy of movies that were like this. And a lot of them. It's not like it was like a little mini thing. Like It was like remakes, torture porn. That's the 2000s in horror. Oversimplification but you get the point. Yeah, I mean, there's really no other clear-cut answer besides Saw. We've mentioned multiple times to you know to each other, and I think even on the podcast, that James Wan is the definitive director of the 2000s when it comes to horror. 100%. And what he does with this film is he not only changes how we're viewing horror, the way that we rate horror as films, like for like giving it like PG-13, are, this film really does change that. Films that are in the horror genre after this place, like, our ratings are fine, and they get with so much more. The amount of bloodshed and violence that you get in horror films, it must have doubled, tripled, quadrupled just in the 2000s. Yeah. I mean, people think they see a lot just in this film. They think they see a lot in older films, too, but in the mid to late 2000s, you don't think you see a lot. You really just do see way too much in a lot of these films. And, like, it's not just Saw. But Saw Again, Saw opened a gateway for these kinds of things. But there's other places that were doing things like this. You know, yes. you, you had the um, the, French ext- the French extreme movements by people like Alexandra Aja. You know, stuff like that already existed or was even more popular. As I mean, he came over here and he did the Hills of Eyes remake, which I fucking yeah. love. But that has some stuff in it that borders on torture porn, too. You know, or borders on what people consider to be torture porn. Stuff like uh, House heavy, of a Thousand Corpses, too. House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects. You know, these are these are things that exist. I'm not saying that they all exist because of Saw. But I do think Saw created a market where these things could become mainstream. Yeah. And especially things like Hostel. Because, again, like I told the story that, like, Lionsgate didn't even want to release Hostel. But once Saw 2 came out and did really well, they're like, you know what? Put it out. More money. 
it was a clear next step for horror at the time. And like you said, you've mentioned the French extremist movement. You mentioned um, all these other films and like House of a Thousand. Japan, Corpses. Japan has a lot of a lot of ones too, like stuff like by Takeshi, uh, Takeshi Miike. Mm-hmm. You know, they had some pretty extreme violence in a lot of their stuff too. You know, it's again, it's not just Saw, but it's definitely something that popularized it, in, especially Hollywood's mainstream. Yes, and Saw helped make people realize this is the next step. This is the next evolution. For, for better or for worse. Yes. And it's really fundamentally cool when you think about James Wan as a director because in a lot of ways, he is very much like a Wes Craven where he's yeah. taken this subgenre that he's created off of a film like Saw and it became so popular and it, it really did nearly ruin horror in the 2000s. Horror became a fucking trash heap for almost 10 years. And he said, "You know what? I'm we gonna do. That. I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna flip what you expect out of me. I'm gonna make The Conjuring, Insidious. And he Even revitalizes that, the world. He revitalizes horror again. Even before that, I mean, like obviously, The Conjuring and Insidious are two. Like, well, even Dead Silence, 2007. Films. That's that's my thing, though. It's like that's one of his immediate follow-ups to Saw. Yeah, is Dead Silence, which is a very different kind of movie. Yes." It, it, it does have gore in it, obviously, but it's it is a spooky, you know, not haunted house thriller, but like it, it's it's more of a like a supernatural thriller kind of movie horror film than this one, which is a very down and dirty, gritty, you know, brutal feeling. Dead Silence, I think, is a great film to watch after Insidious or Conjuring because yes. it really showcases how he got to that point with this film. It was the perfect stepping stone. Yeah, it's like how I liken. You wouldn't have the quality of, of The Haunting of Hill House by Mike Flanagan without Oculus. Oculus is the precursor to that. Dead Silence is the precursor to what we would get with Insidious and what we would get with the Conjuring universe. Yeah, and this director has showcased how versatile he is and how he's ready to change how we're viewing horror cinema. Like, like It's not like it's the first time we've had supernatural shit in, no. in horror movies. We see that all the time. Yeah, I mean, the 80s, we, we had, you know, stuff like Poltergeist, which created a whole corner of horror in the 80s that was based on haunted houses and ghosts and shit, along with all the bevy of other shit. The 80s is just like a versatile decade for horror. It's just every, every fucking ver- thing that you could do in the, in the horror genre was happening in the 80s. Also, The Exorcist. <laughs> yeah, The Exorcist in the 70s, yep. Yeah, I mean, The Exorcist made it so crazy prominent where everyone was scared about there's definitely got to be ghosts here now <laughs> or, or like the andy the andyville horror which is yep. is uh, actually kind of an immediate 79. predecessor yes yeah, it's, it's actually kind of like an immediate predecessor to conjuring in in a lot of spiritual ways because Absolutely. both of them have to deal with the warrens um, both of them deal with the warrens so don't want to get off track how wild is it that that is the, the exact next film that margot kidder does after superman it's pretty sick. Isn't that just crazy, though? It's like, oh, yeah, you're going to be Lois Lane. Hey, remember those murders? <laughs> you know, the, 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 the more more so than that, and I know we're, we're off topic, but yeah. more so than that, the movie that he, she did before Superman was Black Christmas. The character she yeah. is in Black Christmas, and then Lois Lane. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> really crazy. It's just sandwiched between these two horror films. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. But yeah, like, obviously... Versatile actresses. Yeah, spooky ghost stuff, very prominent throughout yeah. all of horror. I mean, yeah, of course. Most early horror just deals with the supernatural and like these elements. Frankenstein 
it's not a ghost, but it's the supernatural elements of, like, bringing life back. Yes. Fucking Dracula is completely supernatural. But realistically, what what Juan did wasn't, oh, he's making... Well, he, did, he helped make supernatural movies more popular again, because yes. we were in a, 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 again, torture porn remake era of horror in the 2000s. We had, you know, original movies every once in a while. Like, we had plenty of them. They're always our original films. But the most prominent ones were remakes or torture porn. And I hate the term torture porn, but that's just what it's called. Yes. Sadly. But um, he, what he did was he brought back a certain style of creating these supernatural films. Not just doing jump scare, jump scare, jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. He took the time to not only draw out tension, create these incredible suspense sequences, but also really do a good job grounding us with these characters to bring it all together into a third act that would be absolutely horrifying, like with Conjuring and like with Insidious. And I think another thing we have to talk about when it comes to paranormal type movies is when this when those films came out with Juan, this is after stuff like I don't wanna say it. He made paranormal things become films that you can direct again. Not POV movies, not not things that it's supposed to mimic camcorders or being scared Bound in the footage. woods. Yep. Found footage, like the biggest supernatural films at the time were the Paranormal Activity films, which were really popular, and right before that, when Blair Witch kicked off. This is the type of style that you're getting for supernatural films. James yeah. Wan said, yeah, supernatural's a cool element, but, like, let's direct these movies again. Let's show you that we can make things scary, but not because you're putting yourselves in the, the behind the scenes, you know, you're the one filming it, but because you're scared about characters again. And he yeah. made perfectly crafted films because James Wan no matter what decade he's been he's always understood character yes even when he has stumbled he still has a desire to create people that you're watching because inherently and I believe I've definitely talked about this before it's like if you know these people and you care about these people you're inherently going to care more about what happens to them in these sequences where they're being chased by a killer or their house is haunted, or their child is taken, or whatever, possession, possession shit, doesn't matter. Characters is, the basis for, for horror is people. It, it's not scary if, you, if there's not people to care about. Yeah. And Juan gets that. He gets that in this, this is his first movie and he gets that. I think bringing up characters is the most important thing because that's the one thing in a horror film that no matter how good a film is, Everyone are gonna. We're all gonna argue on how well a film is made because of how much we care about characters. When we talk about films like maybe I love or you don't like or vice versa, it all comes down to how much we care about these characters when they die. Usually, because you and I totally agree usually on the craft of a film, how well films are made, how much investment yeah. we're given into it. But it all comes down to. Do we care about this character? You might say yes, I might say no. A lot of the times it is yes, sometimes it's no. And that's the big thing about horror. You're always going to get either a decent plot, a fantastic plot, a subpar plot. But if you have any of those things with really in-depth, fun characters, your film's going to be better. Horror thrives off the characters that you're given. 
Yeah. And Juan has always taken that and run with it. The reason this film kicked off to a new decade of horror is because all the characters in this film are important. All of them serve a purpose, and all of them have a really powerful function that drives you through the film and pushes the, the story forward. Because the plot is character work, which is yes. crazy for this film. But it, that's how it is. It's funny how later on it's become like, let's put these motherfuckers in traps and watch them bleed. But this yeah, entire I mean, it, film it's, is it's... driven by how much we want these characters to get through. And as they interact, the story gets further and further along. It's kind of like how, again, like people, like we talked about in The Burning, how Savini thinks that, oh, you watch a Friday the 13th movie because all the characters suck and you just want to watch them die. And it's like, yeah, maybe so one or two of those 13, movies. Dude? Yeah, maybe one maybe one of the one or two of those movies I can maybe agree with that yes but uh first especially yeah and goes the one to he, hell <laughs> when he started on yeah. uh but uh it's the same thing here though when everyone when everyone thinks about Saw they don't think about this movie they think about the later entries because they're the ones that were the again like the phenomenon so they just assume again even even so like as far as I've gone into the franchise not every character is shit no. Not all bad. So even even so, it's it's are automatically wrong. But again, you know, when you take a look at this movie, which is completely differently crafted than the sequels, they're they're attempting completely different things. The storyline the storyline is coherent. It's complex, but it's coherent. Some of the stuff later on gets very contrived. So it's like they get really lost in like, oh man, the first movie, that one had a twist. What are we going to do for this one? Oh, Amanda? Ah, she's the killer now. It's like... Okay. That's actually... There's actually groundwork laid for that in yeah, this yeah. movie. So I think I think that's a pretty decent twist if it was capitalized on, but... You know, I don't know about the rest of them. Yeah. But... You and I have watched different sequels. I've only seen, I believe, the sixth entry, which is one of the first horror films I ever saw in theaters. Fucking terrible place to start i'm sorry yeah i started i I started with the stepfather yeah i I can't even talk about the quality of film it's just the fact that like hey i don't know what's going on this has no idea of how i'm supposed to interpret what these actions it's just death yeah whereas different films you know if you jumped on like part six of friday like technically you could just decently watch us and have a good yeah i mean they they recap everything yeah but doing that in that film it's like Dude, what the that's, fuck that's is going fun. on? That's a fun movie. And they're talking about like, oh yeah, the Jigsaw Killer is dead, and this is a different guy. I'm like, I don't know what the fucking Jigsaw Killer is. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Your first, one, your first one is six. Yeah, I think there's before Jigsaw, which is a completely separate movie. I think there's only seven of these. Yeah, I and then Jigsaw, and then this new one that just came out this year, uh, the Spiral, the Book of Saw. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. With Chris Rock. I'm, I'm, a, sh- uh, I'm sure there's people detective. that are like, you know, loyalists to like the Saw franchise, and kind of like how I am for Friday, saying like, no, if you get down to it and you watch all of them, it makes sense or it works. I, I'm not trying to shit yeah. on the franchise and say that I'm not either. Or anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not try- I'm not even trying to dog on it because you know I, I'm kind of out of loop. You know, yeah. I saw the first. I saw the first three, and then I saw the I saw part of 
final chapter and i was like i don't know what's going on here obviously that's my fault i didn't yes. watch the other ones so it's not the it's not that movie's fault yes so these are this is a franchise i do want to go through and finish it'd be interesting it's on hbo max they're on hbo max so it's just like yeah it would be interesting and i i definitely like to watch more i can but... say two and three are worth watching probably for you okay but if i watch two and three ones. i'm gonna finish them though two, two has one of the toughest traps in the series that i've seen so far and i've it, seen like a couple the of the traps in later through like yeah because oh. a girl gets pushed into well she don't, don't even say anything i i'd rather just oh, you don't, experience you don't. it yeah yeah it i i have a feeling that when you do watch it you're gonna text me oh, and you say what the fuck yeah <laughs> that's that's disturbing so yeah it two two has a really fucked up trap in it it's it's kind of cool though that that movie's pretty cool they bring donnie Wahlberg in. i always like seeing donnie Wahlberg and shit but yeah not this movie that's not this movie i mean we haven't really talked about the movie just the impact yet which you know yeah i mean it speaks it's very about how how long we've gone on just about how influential the series is it's important though it's it, it's important to set the stage because again this it's not it's not just saying hey juan is a really good director this is juan's first movie Yes, and he changed the face of horror for an entire decade. Like that is important context for this, because it's a very unassuming movie. It's okay. really not, you know, this big grandiose, you know, I'm so fucking smart kind of directorial debut where someone's heads up their ass. Like it's a very small scale film, small budget. Yes, to a fault. Two faults but sometimes, but sometimes it works very well. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes the opposite. We'll get to that, though. But I don't even know how to explain the story for this movie. Because really, you don't... They Dropping you into this movie cold is important. Yes. It sucks that you know the ending, but the rest of the plot you didn't know. Yes. Which I think is very important, because the whole point of this movie is you start out knowing nothing, so you're with the characters every step of the way. I would, I would even say that, like, I get so many implications about what this franchise is supposed to be that when i watch this movie i realize people are so stupid that it's made this viewing experience much better because they're wrong i've heard countless times that like oh you know the saw movies uh all these people are really shitty people and the killer's like he's just trying to make things better and he's like got a good reason to it and i'm watching the films i'm like most of these people are not bad people at all the killer's a fucking just crazy lunatic. With yeah, he has a purpose, but it's not like it's okay at all. Yeah, it, I've seen people actually say like Jigsaw's a good guy. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. And he's like, and he's how? completely not. I'm calling your. I'm calling the police. The first person that you know, the first recorded death they talk about in the movie, they say that guy was a regular just bystander that did nothing wrong. He had no record. He just yeah. stayed at home and he was suicidal. That was the only thing that was his big crux. He because he was suicidal and, and Jigsaw values life, says, oh, you want to get rid of your life? Life is important. I'll show you how important it is. You, you know, you're just crying out for attention, which that doesn't age very well, but doesn't have to. He's a fucking bad guy. Yeah, he's a bad well. guy. Yeah. yeah, he's a bad guy and his, his skewed view of life he's looking at that as negatively as possible yes which works because, for, for your antagonist yeah and i guess i guess <clears throat> i guess the easiest way to explain the plot of this movie without really 
we're gonna spoil a fucking movie. I don't even know why I'm dancing around it. I mean, I kind of like to think about how we could not spoil films when we talk about it, but with a film like this, it is it is almost impossible. Yeah, I mean, but also at the same time, it's like every podcast we talk about the entire movie. Yes. So it's like we're definitely gonna spoil this movie. So it's like I was gonna dance around it, but it's like, why would I do that? Yeah. I mean, the whole point, the whole point, I guess, setting up a synopsis for it for all the people who don't give a shit about spoilers is two men are put in a room together. They wake up together in this bathroom. They don't know why they're there. They don't know who put them there, and they don't know how to get out. And come to find out that it's a serial killer who's playing a game with them for the reason that they he believes that they don't appreciate what they have in life. And the whole movie is them trying to figure out who did this to them, why they are together, and how to get out of the room. And then mental trauma ensues. Yes. Lots of mental trauma. Um, that's kind of the toughest part about the movie. It's not even any of the violence. No. You know? You know, the, the, you know, the whole big thing, you know, the first time we recorded this, we, get, we talked about it very briefly at the end. Just get it in there now. The whole big scene everyone talks about is, is when Carrie Ells sh- saws his foot off. Yes. You don't see anything. You, you it's see all, him it's, start to saw into him blood come out. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's it. You don't see him literally cutting his foot off. You just see but his reaction make... to it when he's biting onto his shirt and pulling yeah. on it. But they sure as fuck make you think you did. Yes. And that's just good filmmaking. What you see is his face in agony, biting his shirt with blood spraying on his face. That's enough. That's way more Fantastic. than enough, honestly. That's perfect. You know, that's everyone talks about the violence in this movie. Like, it's so grisly. It's like, there's really not that much. A lot of it is like some of the aftermath related stuff is kind of gross. You know, uh, like they show the guy, they show the guy in the middle of the floor. He shot himself. Yeah. You know, obviously, it's you know Jigsaw himself, but he he you know shoots himself, and they show like his head with part of it blown out. That's kind of gross. You don't. But you don't really linger on it. Kill the person either. You you watch her stab them, but you don't really see the. You see her. You see her pulling the organs around. Yeah. But it's very very again like the way that they choose to shoot some of the stuff in this movie. It's not always easy to figure out what's going on. Yes. It's a bit discombobulating on purpose. I just compare that to like Day of the Dead though. Like you watch the organs get pulled out of the antagonist and beaten. Or or when the guy gets the guy he gets his head ripped off and his vocal cord stretches as his head comes off. Yeah. As he's screaming and his scream goes high pitched and fucking breaks. What a like there's some really gorgeous movie. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like when you're watching a zombie movie, people disassociate that kind of stuff. Like Oh, it's, they're zombies. That shit doesn't exist. This is a fantasy. Yeah. This is like... The whole point of, of this movie is like is gritty. It's supposed to be realistic to a degree. And it's someone doing it to themselves. Yeah. You know, stuff like the foot getting cut off and all that stuff. And putting themselves through these terrible things. It's not in any way fantastical. Which is why I think it bothers people more. You know, it's kind of funny, like, again, like, you talk about, like, the Romero movies, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, doesn't matter what, you know, they're all really gory films. The Walking Dead, we watched The Walking, well, not we, but, you know, as a, as a society, we watched The Walking Dead for 10, 10, 11 fucking years. Very gory show after the first season. Yes. But we, we were fine with that, because, again, it's zombies, we disassociate that. The more you know, grounded this, you take a film, the more disturbing personal people will take it. Yeah. And it's like, again, also, 
at least in the case of Carrie Elsa's character, we spend this whole movie learning about this person, getting to know them very intimately. So you're watching someone that you, I guess, care about cutting their foot off. Yes. It's, it is disturbing. And it should be. But I feel like people make a much bigger deal out of it than it really is. Most Any of the violence in this movie, honestly. I think it's pretty tame in comparison to especially where this where the series goes. Oh yeah, I've seen only one other one, and it's a lot more bloody. and It's a lot more even, violent. Even it's spin. I get like I say spinoff. It's not a spinoff, but it was originally. Um, we talked about the collector. The collector yes. was originally going to be a jigsaw prequel movie. Yes, that is way more graphic and brutal than this. Oh yeah, just look at how when you're first introduced to the dad in the basement. Yeah. Like, it, that's way more in your face about the violence. And again, another situation where you learn the, the people and you, you get to know these people a bit. So, like, it's worse because you know them. You know, pe- people make this movie sound like it's something like that. It's really not. I find, I find that really funny. I always have discussions with people where they tell me, you know, oh, my God. So, first first Saw movie so grotesque. It's like, there's really nothing in this. Yeah. It's really, there's really not. So, I guess to get to the plot of it. Like you said, we explore primarily the lead character is Carrie Ells' character, and yeah, he, I'd say I'd say he pretty much shares it with with Adam. I would say he's a co-lead. The only thing is, Adam, we don't go into his backstory as much. Yeah, they strategically put Adam in there. He's very integral. Yes, but they strategically reveal things when it's convenient—not convenient, but they reveal things at the perfect time to intertwine their stories together. Yeah. But the whole movie, they are working together. Yes. Well, not working. They're not always working together, but, you know, they are, they are together. The whole movie, they're interacting the together. Time. Yeah, the whole movie, they're together in the same room. They're always talking to each other. So they're both very important. I, I will say, as I sit on it more and more, I really do appreciate uh, Le'Veon's performance as Adam a lot more. Yeah. But at the same time, the more I think about it, there is a lot more scenes where he's just not very up to par. There, there's definitely some some scenes because it kind of sucks. He's put in, the, in a room with Carrie Ells. Yeah, it was a fantastic actor. Yeah, I mean he's completely playing against type here. Oh, 100. At least from he's the stuff pe- I've seen, obviously. Seen from and not a piece of shit, but he has so many more person. like demean like demeaning and rough qualities than his usual characters. He is a complex person yes who is not perfect and we're so used to seeing carrie Ells in movies like princess bride or robin hood men in tights he's the dashing protagonist you know yeah this charismatic guy usually with a with a british accent you know super duper suave but in this he's just a doctor he's just a dude and it really really grounds this movie but it again you're putting this is Leigh Ellis' first acting gig. And you're putting him up against Carrie Ells. Yeah. In a scene. And Tobin Bell. I mean, Tobin Bell barely actually, like, does anything in the movie. But, again, even the the minute that Tobin Bell is in the movie, he's Fantastic. instantly iconic. Like, his, his... The ending of this movie, he's fucking awesome. His line de- delivery is just fantastic. And it's like, it's it's wild. They hired him. He's barely in the movie. I mean, obviously his voiceover for the puppet's really good. You know, him talking, he talks a lot. But you don't see him on screen very much. Mm-hmm. But man, at the end, is he fucking good? But um, yeah, I think the first time we watched the first time we recorded this, 
I was a bit more down on Winnell's performance. I would still argue it's obviously not as good as L's. It's not as good as, you know, it's definitely, it's his first performance, but for a first performance in a movie, pretty fucking good i, I there's, think there's moments just, where he falters obviously yeah it's mostly the beginning the beginning his acting feels very much like act kind of manic and he just says shit and it's not having like an emotion to it and it feels very flat but when the film picks up so does his acting you could tell that like as the film's becoming more intense and more integral for him to show his acting chops he does a really good job his 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 performance gets very, very. What's the word for it? Layered. Yeah, because he he has this air of um, sarcastic wit, where he he's very, very standoffish with Carriels. He's very he's deflecting a lot of the things that Carriels is saying by being a sarcastic dick. Because there's other there's things that he ha- is hiding that he's again he's trying to deflect whatever Carrie Ellis is trying to say to him so that they don't get to the heart of the matter um, but towards the end of the movie I think Winnell's performance goes way through the roof I agree I think his performance is great in the final 15-20 minutes of the movie yes when, when things get desperate he is really good like he when he has to like he shows desperation really well you know, we were talking about it the first time we recorded it about the when he bashes the guy's head in with the top of the toilet tank. Finn, oh God, I love that scene. It it looks like someone who's who has adrenaline coursing through their veins, just hitting as hard as they possibly can so they survive, because it is pure just survival instinct, fight or flight, and he's just absolutely wailing on him, and he's incredible. And not just that, but when it's actually kind of comedic. When when Jigsaw gets up and he's just like, <laughs> yeah. like he he side eyes him, but that like that's really good. That reaction is genuine as fuck. Like I I couldn't imagine how how I would react in in his shoes. I, I feel like it would probably be something like that. I would just be absolutely just like, wait a second, what? Um, but what really gets me is the very very final shot. Yeah, with him reaching his hand out, screaming for help. Yeah. And the movie ends with him screaming Which over is the credits. The perfect ending for the film. It, it is so chilling. It is one of the most chilling, like next to something like Black Christmas. Like Black Christmas's ending is absolutely bone chilling. Yes. This is also absolutely bone chilling. <laughs> like just hearing him again, like it cuts to black. The credits are coming up. You see the, the credits come through and you're, he's still screaming. And it's just like this is, this is really bad. <laughs> like this is really, really scary. And so, let's just and you're, and you're left in the dark with him. Yeah, That's what I like about it too. Let's just say there isn't any sequels. Let's just say as a self-contained film, it's the perfect finale because you're saying, what happens? What happens to the doctor? We know he got out of there, but where did he go? Did he survive? Does he make it? What happens to Adam? Does does the doctor get help? What's gonna happen? Yeah, that's for you to decide as a viewer. It's up to your own imagination as how you think things would transpire after that, which is why it's a perfect ending to a film. In a modern society, we have been spoon-fed the ending of films way too often. We have been told what happens, every little inkling of what happens, all these little side stories that could be pursued in sequels. They don't because we finish it in the last five minutes of a film. 
Yeah, everything it's is answering wrapped, answering every single question. Everything's like, wrapped way too tightly. Yeah, I agree. And when a film like this happens, it's like, this is perfect. This is exactly yeah. what we need. If we want a sequel, there's things to go off of, or we could do an entirely new plot. Who knows? So as a self-contained film, we need more endings like this. I agree. I th- and I think that if you did wrap this up with a bow, you know, oh, you, you follow uh, Lawrence as he's crawling out of the out of the building, and he gets to a to a to a phone or something, and he gets or he gets to another person. He gets the cops called. They go back and they get Adam and all stuff. He gets tied out in a bow. He gets back to his house and he gets to be with his wife and kids. It's like we don't need that. That would ruin the movie. That would 100 percent ruin it, the movie. It, it would ruin the ending of the movie, in my opinion. I think that that getting that, especially because the movie is a bleak film. Yeah, it's supposed to be it's, so gritty. Yeah, and it's like that. There is no other way that this movie should have ended. Nope. It, it, it's absolutely perfect. I now I don't remember what happens with Adam. I obviously yeah. we we know what happens with with Lawrence because we know he's in. Yeah. yeah, we know he's in the final chapter, but I don't remember them ever talking about Adam. Which is so I don't even cool. Yeah, I, I, mean, I like the idea of. Really did. I like the idea of you as a viewer deciding what would happen to Adam. There's obviously more illogical decisions you could come to. Like, does Adam really survive? I don't know. It's kind of tough to think of him surviving, but yeah, does it matter? The film doesn't tell you. You can decide what would happen after that. Yeah, I will say that if they don't address it, especially in final chapter or something yeah considering the last moments between Lawrence and Adam before Lawrence crawls out of the room I'm gonna yell for you I'm gonna come back yeah this is genuine real like I promise I will will come back for you yeah it's a really honestly a really touching beautiful moment especially considering the revelations that we've heard about these two people and how they've learned about each other that he's still saying, I will come back for you. Because when we're starting off the film, they are very much at odds. We very. don't know why they're at odds until later on in the film, but they are. it's tough for them to work together, and as they start to work together, there's more things that kind of tear them apart in different areas where it's like, you hid this from me, you didn't tell me this, blah, 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 blah. But by the end of it, Adam really saves Lawrence. And, oh, yeah. And he really says, like, you feel this like brotherly camaraderie, like exactly anything I could do for you, I will. I owe everything to you right now, and it's a that's fantastic. My thing. You know, what, dude, I'm, I swear to fucking God, I am gonna get a goddamn jar for a dollar every time I say the word fucking fantastic. I'm gonna lose my goddamn mind. I said it three times, almost four, and I stopped myself because I'm Mister Fucking Fantastic over here. Stretch my arms around and fucking smack myself in the face. I swear to God, <laughs> it's yeah. a beautiful fucking cool sick fantabulous moment anything yeah. but fantastic at this point but that's my thing though it's like that ending is so strong between them that i feel like if we get to part seven and lawrence you know if they maybe they say oh i got back there in time but adam's dead whatever but like if they don't even mention adam again and he's in that movie I, I hate that. So we'll see. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably watch all of these at some point. So we'll see when I get there. But I just I, I can't picture a world where we don't address that. I how and if we didn't funny, it would be like, such an oversight if they didn't. For for a film series like this to make some sequels in the two thousands, the the idea that I would think they would do is like 
Jigsaw comes back. See? Lawrence never got any help for you. He never really cared. And then he becomes one of the next Jigsaws. You know that's some shit that would yeah. happen in the 2000s. You know it. Yeah. That would be really weird. I wouldn't like that very that much. That wouldn't be weird, Mike. That would be bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would not be down for that. No. But it sounds so plausible. Honestly, it sounds like something that... It sounds like something that maybe in the writer's room they kicked yeah, around. it sounds like a script that had, like, the first draft, and somebody goes, Are you fucking for real? Can we film this? <laughs> Only when I was too busy. Yeah. Paving the way for his awesome directorial debuts. Actually, that's not true. I think his directorial debut was, like, the third Insidious movie. Uh, I believe so. I feel like, I feel like you told me, like, maybe he might have directed one of the Saw movies, but I don't think he did. I'm not sure. I can't... I can't say it with a whole lot of oomph in my chest as a positive. I, I feel like it definitely would make sense for him to do something with Juan. And Juan wasn't super duper crazy involved with Saw after yeah. at that point. By that point, but uh, also th- something that we didn't mention is that this is actually I thought this was written by both of them. This is no. solely written by Lewinell. Yeah. And honestly, it's a good fucking script. Yes, it is. For for especially for like a first film. A first like feature film produced by a studio. Wow, good job. Winnell's always done a good job of knocking it out of the park with anything he's been given. He just runs with it. Yeah, I don't care anybody. I don't care what anybody tells me. I don't care what anyone says about that stuff. He's fucking awesome. Even yeah, fil- films he's not proud of, he still does a great job. <laughs> yeah, Insidious Chapter Three is his directorial debut. Then he did Upgrade and Invisible Man. He's working on the Wolf on Wolfman. The next, the, the Wolfman movie for Universal, and then apparently he's doing Escape from New York. Uh, okay. With, with The Rock. Oh fuck, that's right. That's so fucking dumb, man. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I don't, I don't even like Escape from New York that much, but I, I am so sick. Like, so a sick modern rock, day yeah. action star is not the same shit as an '80s action star. Like, we don't need that. And like, even The Rock. He's more like a like a Stallone or like a Schwarzenegger type action star. He's not a Kurt Russell. It's no. Like, and it's like, oh well, he's really charismatic. Holy fuck! I didn't know The Rock was the only fucking actor with charisma. That's wild. Also, considering again, like Snake Plissken's not a charismatic character. No. At least not in Escape from New York. I haven't seen Escape from New York. Isn't he LA, supposed but... to do Big Trouble in Little China too? Maybe I'm mixing those two up. Yeah, I think, maybe, maybe I think he's... The Rock is Big Trouble. Maybe he's doing Big Trouble. Yeah, I don't... I'm pretty sure he's doing Big Trouble. Yeah. Fits better. It's still fucking dumb. Yeah, I mean, I don't want another Big Trouble Little China movie, so it doesn't really matter. But... It doesn't need to be another Big Trouble Little China movie. Yeah, there's no cast for the movie, so I was wrong. I'm okay yeah. with that. <laughs> what if he gets cast and you predicted the future? I'll kill myself. There's no way they'd have the budget for that. For The Rock? It'd be half the budget right there for the film, if not more. Depends on who does it. Uh, if he actually does it. I don't even know if that's true. It's not IMDb, I don't know. But Anyways. Yeah. When I was a really good writer. Rattle Rampage. Yeah. Ha 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 He's in Rampage. That's funny. I'm gonna kill myself. <laughs> um, bottom line, Winnell is really talented. Very, very. He's obviously gone on to do great stuff directing. You know, not even just in the horror genre, because Upgrade's not really a horror movie. It's a sci-fi action film. That movie's fucking awesome. So, like, he's a super talented director and a super talented writer. 
And well, I don't care what Invisible Man otherwise. Thriller territory too. Yeah, but Invisible Man's so good too. It's a fantastic. So, movie. So, such a misleading marketing campaign. Holy shit, the marketing was terrible for that movie. But his his debut was was Insidious three. So he got his start working with Juan again, with with directing this time. And I think that's cool that they've they've been helping each other throughout Home their this, craft. their journey in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean they they were they were together in film school in Australia, and they're still working together. They still talk. They're still. I mean they they start they created their careers together, and I think that's great. And that's that shows. I mean, Saw works so well because you have such a strong collaborative force on it. It's not just one entity trying to overpower and do this and this. Like you can tell they're working together to make this fucking finely tuned, finely crafted masterpiece. And, and yeah, it may sound weird fires. to call Saw a masterpiece, but like with the time period that this is, with the films coming out, and the way they're attacking this genre and changing it, in its way, it is a masterpiece. Especially considering where where the genre went after this, yes, and how how especially like even this type of film took a nosedive immediately because of yeah. Hostel. <laughs> immediately took a nosedive, but uh, you know, obviously there's ones that are inspired by it that are better. Like I love the the Collector. You don't love the collector, um, but you know movies like that. Like there are movies in this like corner of horror that do work, but there's a lot of them that don't. And this sticks out above the pack. I mean, I still wouldn't even classify this as that torture porn film. Yeah, it's definitely not that. Anyways, it created that somehow, but I wouldn't call it that on its own. But it is head and shoulders above the pack of ninety-five percent of them. I mean, just in this time period, the performances you're getting in this film are so far above other performances. Like, yeah. Even the child acting in this performance is so astounding. Oh, 100%. I, I can't name the last time I've seen a child actor where she seemed like she was giving her all, like she was actually terrified for her life with a gun like held to her. That was yeah. amazing. When I'm watching this scene in, you know, the supposed at the time Jigsaw Killer puts a gun to a child's head, you know... You could, you could expect her to be, like, crying or having a tough time, but, like, I feel like she's actually in danger for that entire scene, which is fan... Almost, almost fucking did it. Almost did it again. Holy <laughs> shit. It's a fucking good scene, okay? I'm done. It's real good. It's like good real good, good yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. She's really good. All the acting's pretty fucking good, honestly. There's there's moments where when Elle kind of suffers, you can hear his accent slip through. Yeah. Or, you know, he'll deliver a line a little weird. Some of the dialogue uh, is a bit more cheesy. Yeah. A lot of the cop but, dialogue is cheesy. Yeah, the cop stuff is probably some of the the, the worst stuff. Yeah, and it's There's, not even some bad. Of, some of it's pretty fucking good, though. Yeah. I, I, I like Glover's interactions with his partner. Yeah. Um, even, like, the partner the partner's not as good as as Glover, but, you know, it's, it's Danny Glover. Yeah. Also, Danny Glover's been playing that character for like 20 years at that point. Even in this film, he barely does a whole lot. He's good, he, but he's he's nothing the like only special. Thing he, the thing he does, that, like I think, is is we don't really get much out of it because yeah. I think if I remember correctly, he dies. Yes. It's been like a week or something since I've seen. He it. dies. He has this kind of like he goes crazy after he loses his partner and lets Jigsaw go. I've never seen Danny Glover be crazy like that before. Yeah. And it's like Charlie Day and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, kind of crazy. You know, he reminds funny. me of, in that scene, he reminds me of um, Lawrence Fishburne in the Predators movie. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see that. 
I get that. Funny, he was in Predator too. <laughs> he sure was. I remember watching that was. movie. I oh. watched that for the first time in like 2018, and guess what? Let me tell you what. I I knew you weren't gonna like it, because even I talking so many... about it, you're like I hear people say they actually like have been going back and looking at it pretty highly, and I'm like. I'm telling you, man, you're not gonna like it. There's cool shit in the movie, but it is not a good movie. Somebody actually like hardcore went after me because I was like, "Yeah, Predator 2 is really bad. Like, it's really it bad. It's fucking like, I bad." Like, I like the I like the Shane Black Predator movie more. It's better. And this guy's like, "You're fucking stupid for liking that one. This so fucking dumb. Autism's a superhero, a superpower. Like, yeah, that's autism's the- a superhero." <laughs> they, they, they- <laughs> That's not what I meant, but yeah. I know, like, I know. Go ahead. It, it, they do treat it in that movie as a superpower. They do, yeah. Which is interesting, but um, all these scenes, like he's running down, he's like, oh, Predator 2's got better action, it's got, you know, uh, better characters. I'm like, that's both of those right off the bat. Those are wrong. It doesn't have any character. It has one the character. Act- There's one sequence of Predator 2 that I actually really like, and that's when he's, like, scaling the building. I mean, I don't think the characters are fantastic in the new Predator movie, but... No, but they're more interesting. They are. There's more and, fun and to be had. performances are better. I, I'm telling you what, like, in both his alien appearance and in his Predator appearance, Bill Paxton just annoyed the fuck out of me. I don't mind him in Alien, but I really don't like him in Predator. Yeah, I mean, at work, we always hear that game over, man, game over, and... Yeah. I don't know if it's our boss that ruined that for me, or if it's just that I didn't like it to begin with, but... It's annoying. <laughs> his, his character can be annoying, and he's really bad in Predator Two. Yeah, really bad. Danny Glover has some great performances. He's a really well-tuned actor. Oh, it, Glover's just, an incredible actor. In this film, he's great with some scenes, like when he's acting manic. It's really good, but he's just yeah. not given a whole enough to do. Yeah, you feel like there's like another like ten minutes of the movie where it was like his investigation or something. Yeah. Same with the orderly. You know, he doesn't give a, get a whole lot to do. The stuff he does is really My, good. Michael Emerson is such a good actor. I love Michael Emerson, and he's really good in this uh, for for what he gets to do. And he's in the show uh, Person of Interest, and I love him in that. And I, like I said, I think I told you when we first recorded this, he is a, he he plays the Joker in something. Yeah. Oh, you know what? He plays him in Dark Knight Returns. I think. No. And I really like him. I like that Joker. So like he, he's like he's a really he's a really talented actor. So I liked him a lot. It, it was kind of weird seeing him in this and be like, I feel like you should be a bigger role than this. But it's also 2004. Yeah. So. But even yeah, the, I, I, the mother actor, fantastic. She's great. She has a couple of moments where, you know, she has a line or two where she'll be like, because we talked about this before. Her little like mini argument that she has with Carrie Ells when he leaves to go to work it's just kind of shoved in there yeah like it's not organic the dialogue like, is rough yeah it's it's like it's just there to set up oh they're on the outs yes because before that when like she comes to get him to go into her, his daughter's room to check for the the, the scary man um, there's no evidence that, that she has anything against him yeah in performance and then all of a sudden now when she's just like well, fuck you man you know what so. so when the scene picked up, her voice was very hesitant when she was talking to him. So I'm like, oh, is he going to be like abusive or something? I, I was a bit worried. I think I think it was more so like she was she didn't think that he was going to come yeah. with them. And he's like, no, nope, I'm coming. I think the way uh, that scene builds has a lot of layers to it, which leads you 
to think many different things. But as the scene unfolds, you're right. It, it's like, oh, well, he's not that bad. But then when he's about to leave, it's like, this feels a little too forced. The dialogue isn't natural. There's not a build. Like, that scene was maybe a little bit longer with more intro to it. It'd be a little bit better. I think the thing that really gets me, though, is that, like, they set up before that flashback. He's saying, you know, oh, I... You know, I'm just thinking about the last thing I said to my daughter, and I'm like, yeah. "Oh no, what's he gonna say to his daughter?" And it's really sweet. Yeah, all that's great. And then you get that next scene, and I'm like, "I don't see any evidence of this man being like this." You know, like he seems like he's a pretty good dad. Yeah. I mean, they don't really, they don't deliberately show anything with him and and the wife as far as them their relationship besides that little argument. It's all insinuation. Yeah, and if anything, that's probably the thing in the movie that I think is like not the not the best tuned thing is that like they set up that idea, but they don't really run with it and they don't really explore it. It's just like just reminding you they're on the outs. It's just like okay, Mm -hmm. but it's just like it's a very forced line, and it's not her fault. It's not the actress's fault. Monica Pyra. Monica Potter, I believe is her name. Uh, it's not her fault. It's just like, hey, it's almost like they came to set that day and they're like, fuck, we didn't write something for this. All right, uh, say this. Yeah. And she has to deliver a line. I know that's probably not how it happened, but it, it, it feels like a last minute addition, almost like a like a, a studio note or something. Like, hey, you didn't you didn't say anything about this, so you should probably throw a line in there. Yeah. Saying hey, or or not studio note, but like. Juan was like, hey, Lay, or Lee, Lee Winnell would be like, hey, we, we kind of missed this. We should probably do something. And then they do this one, one throwaway line in interaction. It's like, ah, that could have been handled a bit better. Yeah. But that's really, I can't really ding this movie for very much. Yeah, I, I think everything else is pretty well handled and you can follow it along decently enough. There's not a whole lot of... Like not a whole lot of things that are like they either drop the ball on or you just can't follow. It, it the com the story gets a lot more complex as it goes on, but it's yeah. not tough to follow. It's still easy to digest, which is good. No, because there's a lot to the story. Deceivingly, there's a lot to it, but the way that Juan and Juanel reveal things as the movie goes on makes it very easy to digest. It is, there's a lot going on, but not. It's never presented to you in a way where you're going to get lost. Yeah, which I think is that's a that's a delicate balance for a movie like this. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of complexity to it, and for a first movie, it's it, it's mind blowing that this movie is as good as it is. And the best thing is the information does not feel spoon fed. No, not at all. The way that because it's shown, not told. Yep, very natural. That's that's the thing. I always like it more when a movie shows me, doesn't tell me. Movies are a visual medium. I don't need to be spoon-fed shit. I could not agree more with you on that. The one thing, I, the one thing that because we were talking about acting, and we kind of briefly uh, touched on on L's, but I know a lot of people who say that his performance in this is bad. I think that is ridiculous. I think it's one of his best performances. I think he's incredible in this. Like, I'm not saying it's my favorite performance, but it's one of his best. It's one of his most layered, yeah, diverse, it's not my favorite either. complex performances he's ever given. 
Yeah, I mean, Wesley's my favorite from Princess Bride. Yeah, it's it's not a fair comparison, but yes. Yeah, but like this, like as far as a performance, like he's he's giving it his all this whole movie. Definitely. Sure, there's a couple of moments maybe that they could have done another take on one line delivery, but generally speaking, I think he nails it out of the park, especially in the final ten minutes mm-hmm. when he is on the phone with his wife and daughter and. The phone gets knocked out of her hand and gunshots start going off and he doesn't know what's going on. And he goes into this manic, terrified state where he grabs a saw and cuts cuts his fucking foot off because he needs to get back to his wife and daughter and save them. It's played so perfectly. It is relentlessly effective. Like, it's just absolutely psychologically damaging. Like, he is so out of his mind and it's genuinely terrifying to watch and, and heartbreaking to watch. It's just like this man is broken. As I feel the same way when it comes to the scene with him sawing his foot off. For that man to just have his facial interactions show you as an audience the pain he's going through, which he's not. And he keeps and he keeps going and going and going. It's not something like he does it. He's like, oh, I can't do it. It's like he yeah. he knows it no matter what. If I don't cut my foot off, my family's dead. The expression which in his isn't face the case. is unbelievable. Yeah, it is so real. It feels so real. I feel that's probably why people think that like this is way more graphic than it is because it's just so visceral. Yeah, his performance just it treats you as an audience to think like I cannot imagine what's going on. This film is disturbing. Yeah, that's the thing though. It's like the violence isn't even isn't really that bad in this movie, in my opinion. Nope. It is the people. It is the situations that they are put in, the things that they have to do to survive, that is the, the disturbing aspect of the film. 100%. And that's why it's perfect. So I, I think love we've, it. we've pretty much covered everything we have to. Anything else for yeah. final thoughts? No, I mean, this is one of the one of the better... If It's, it's upper tier as far as, like, debut films I've seen. Yes. Especially within the horror genre. You know, this is Juan and Winnell's first films... It's. I, I wouldn't say it's again not of the quality of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's one of those things where it takes, it takes you by storm the same way. You know, it, it's just like this. You watch this movie, and you're like, this is their first movie. Yeah. It's like when I watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm like, this is Toby Hooper's first movie. No fucking way, man. It is. So it, it, it's just mind blowing. Like you just know instantly if you've never seen a Juan movie, and you watch Saw, you're like, this man has a future. And like, yeah, you're right. He directed a billion dollar superhero movie in 2018. So, you know, it it is a really, really awesome film. That is a time capsule of its time. It really does show you where horror was in that time period. But also at the same time, it it is the perfect example of why when Hollywood chases trends, they get worse and worse. Yeah. Because this is top tier. And most of them are fucking garbage. So, yeah, I love this movie so much. I have to say, the comparison to Toby Hooper is perfect because Toby Hooper in the '70s changed how we're looking at people. It changed what we thought people were capable of, and it obviously ramped up the slasher genre as other films later on did as well. And these debut films really made you say, "I don't feel safe anymore." It made you, as an audience in this time period, say. There's nothing the human body can handle that our minds can't disrupt. And yeah. we are just, as people, sick. And we have to be cautious. And 
we have to look where we're going. We have to look who our neighbor is. We have to really make sure that we lock our doors at night. And those two debut films really showcased how as the decade changes, one thing is always going to be frightening, and that's man. Yep, I agree. Perfectly well put. Final rating? Final rating, honestly, when we started, when we when we watched this, I was not expecting this. 9.5. I was going to say 9.5 as well. I'd want to say 9 for this. some certain things. The only thing I didn't mention this time around is the speed cam does bother me. Oh, yeah, we never talked about the speed cam. Yeah, I mean, it just shows, like, everything else is so well handled. When they do speed cam, the way it it's protrude in the first scene showcases like oh yeah well this is supposed to showcase time you know passing by and in the second scene it's supposed to show like how manic amanda is and yeah it, it, it's kind of tough because one scene almost contradicts the second one because the, the second one is built on time but it's a, such a minor thing and as a film like it is a masterpiece when it came out the way it shaped cinema the way it changed the horror decade for the worst unfortunately still as a film it's a phenomenal character study and it showcases how you can use character interactions to push along the plot and develop story that at that time period i had i don't think i'd seen before i mean i saw this i saw this at a young age i saw it pretty much when it hit dvd and there's nothing like this at the time for me yeah. I had no concept of, ho- of horror of this kind. You know, at that time, I was watching fucking, like, Scooby-Doo horror, horror shit with, like, Scooby with vampires or fucking, you know, uh, you what's better, called? You gotta choose words carefully right now. You're talking to Mr. Do over hey, here. Hey, hey, hey. I didn't say it's bad. I'm <laughs> saying I watched... That's what I. That's what my my horror was, was yeah. watching Scooby-Doo episodes of the vampires or fucking Alvin and Chipmunks meet Frankenstein. Like, yeah. I wasn't watching horror movies like this. And when I watched this, it it legitimately had a grip on me that gave me nightmares. Like yeah. it, this movie fucked me up for a couple weeks because it's just like it's that psychologically, you know, it, it just it hurts to watch. Like yeah. it's really, really it, it should it should if it didn't it it wouldn't work. So yeah, I fucking adore this movie. And when when I said, oh, I want to watch this, and when we decided we were gonna do this, I'm like. I'll have a good time. You know, like I liked it the last time I watched it. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Had no idea when I watched this that I was gonna love it again. Love it this much more than last time. Because I think the last time I saw it, I probably would have given it like an eight. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe seven point five. And watch this watching this again, I'm just like, no, this movie's awesome. I think this needs to be reevaluated, man. Like a lot of people go back and they're like, ah, Saw's okay. It's not okay. It's great. Yeah. So I think we've pretty much covered everything we have to. We really talked about how Saw changed the decade and it made it for the worst in, in some areas, but sometimes like it makes it even more of a shining star at that, that period. There's nothing yeah. more else it, it could have done to showcase how important man-made horror can be and how terrifying it can really be. And, you know, that's come down that comes to, down to a lot of not just this decade, but when you're going through horror through the decades, we talked about Psycho in the 60s. That's all about the horror of man. You know, the only one that's really separated so far is the 70s talks more about, like, the supernatural elements that man fears. When we talk about the 80s, it's about how far, how much is this really a man versus an entity? Yeah. And it's more, the 90s, it's a bit more, it's more, a bit more discussing, you know, life and how life progresses and 
again like the whole i mean they spell it out in, in that one scene but the whole thing's about fate yes in the 90s it's a lot more about the subversion of what we think is going to happen yeah. and like what man truly fears at that period yeah. of time and 2000s just says like hey you've been you've gone to the, the deepest ends you've seen beasts you've seen monsters you've seen creatures you've seen gods what's more terrifying than a man with the cause it all comes back to man a hundred percent the first terror one of the first terrors on planet earth for our species and it's going to be the last absolutely and that's so. how we want to end our, our our decades of horror we want to go through talk about the way things have changed but like like you said it always comes back to man so thanks for joining us i hope you had a fun time going through this installment of the podcast it was fun to try to test out a different thing um the next one is going to be the 80s it's going to be our finalization of it but this is the final point in the time frame. This is the 2000s. We're not going to do 2010s or anything. It's still very fresh, and we wanted to make five time periods that we think really impacted people the most. Let's be real. If we did the 2010s, we'd just talk about another one movie, so... Yes, we definitely would. We would talk about Insidious, or we would have talked about Conjuring, so... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, one more to come out, which is going to cover the 80s, and it makes sense to have it at the end, because that film we're going to cover... Halloween. Absolutely. Halloween, baby. Let's go, boys. So we'll see you for that one, hopefully. I'd I'd be pretty annoyed to think that you'd watch this one and not Halloween. So uh, I'll check you in on that. We'll finalize our horror through the decades. And thanks again for joining us. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.